Our scripture reading today comes from the gospel according to Luke. And I invite you to stand in body or in spirit and honor the reading of the gospel. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, reviled you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and, anyone, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I know we have a lot of special Sundays in the church. I always love Christmas and Easter, but something about today means a great deal. Just to say a name and to light a candle and to ring a bell, knowing that that, resent, that presents a whole life in just that mere mention. And it feels like the very minimum that we can do. But I'm reminded when we say those names how... How incredible those lives have been, and that we stand on shoulders. <laughs> um, just this week, sometime, I think an afternoon, Wednesday or Thursday, somebody came in here, a couple came in here from South Carolina, and they said, we, we heard there was a window dedicated to our great-great-great-grandfather. And so we found it. It's this window right here, the shepherds, Reverend Cotter, uh, and there, his great-grandchildren were here just learning about... Uh, their ancestor and the names on these windows. There are saints surrounding us every, every week. Friends, we, we're not in Acts today, we're in Luke. And, uh, and as, all, as all of you know, the Gospels each, there are four, they each show a different kind of side of Jesus. And they're each written to a different audience and, and for a slightly different purpose. My preaching professor used to say that if the Gospels were church buildings, they would each be a little different. Matthew would be a school with desks and whiteboards and a huge library because Matthew's the teaching Gospel. He's trying to get it into their heads that Jesus is the new Moses. All the Old Testament references in there are to, for that one goal. Mark, he said, would be an empty building. <laughs> the paint would be peeling because everybody is just out doing the work of Jesus immediately. John, I always picture some kind of Beatles concert with John. Everything's about love. All you need is love. 24-7 charismatic worship. 
sharing everything together, lots of tents, lots of food. But Luke, he said Luke would be a hospital because Luke is primarily concerned with the sick and the poor and the unwell and the sad and the hungry and the forgotten. I mean, just look at the passage Connor read. The sermon, it's called the Sermon on the Plain. Now, this is Luke's version of the Beatitudes that Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. And if you haven't noticed already, there's already a huge difference. Matthew's sermon is on the Mount. Jesus is up high speaking like Moses with a new law from a new mountain. But right before Jesus starts preaching in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. (laughs) He came down to their level. It's not a sermon from a mountain. It's a sermon on the plain. Jesus has come down to our level, and that's exactly what we'll celebrate next month. God is on our level. 20th century theologian Karl Barth calls what we call the incarnation. He says it is the miraculous climbing down of God. And in Luke's gospel, that is the image of Jesus who continually cares for and gets on the level of those who have been cast aside. Now, at this point in the gospel, not a lot has happened. Of course, you've, had, you've got the birth narratives and, and the baptism and temptation in the wilderness. But other than that, Jesus has really just been healing folks. He heals a man with an unclean spirit. He heals Simon's mother-in-law. He heals a leper and then a paralyzed man. If you remember, his friends cut a hole in a roof and lower him down because the crowd is so big. And so not long after this, Jesus preaches his sermon on the plain, a sermon all about those folks he has been spending all his time with, the hungry, the sick, the hurting. And it's a sermon against the comfortable. It's against the rich and the well-fed folks. John Wesley mentioned in his notes on this passage, he said this, Jesus pronounces the poor and the hungry, the mourners and the persecuted, happy, and represents as miserable those who are rich and full and joyous and applauded. And then he says this, because generally prosperity is a sweet poison and affliction, a healing, though bitter medicine. Luke finishes his version of the Beatitudes and then Jesus tells anyone that will hear him, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless anybody who curses you. Pray for the abusive ones. If struck, turn the other what? Cheek. If someone takes your jacket, give them your shirt. Give to anybody who begs. Do to others as you would have them do to you. One pastor said of this passage, the loftiness of the challenge which Jesus presents exalts us with the sense of the glory of God and in the same moment humbles us to the dust with the consciousness of our utter inability to measure up. (laughs) It's the golden rule one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. And of course, Jesus is not pulling this from nowhere. He's interpreting Hebrew Scripture. In Leviticus, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your kinsfolk. Love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Different ancient teachers also had their kind of versions of these phrases. The great Rabbi Hillel was asked a similar question one day, and his response was this, what is hateful to thee do not do to another. Philo of Alexandria said this, what you hate to suffer, do not do to anyone else. The Greek orator Isocrates said this, what things make you angry when you suffer them at the hands of others, 
do not you do to other people. Of course, a major difference is that Jesus' phrase is positive, not negative. Barclay says it it doesn't consist in not doing things, but in doing them. Eugene Peterson captures this in his retranslation. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. That seems to me like a good definition of the saints we find ourselves thinking about today. The folks who really stuck by the golden rule. In staff meeting this week, I asked everybody to share about some saints from their lives. We shared about the people in our lives who had been kind and gentle and caring. Maybe people who had expected much and in the end had valued relationship with us above all else. Indeed, today... We've called the names of those who have gone before us, and more than that, we've called the names of those who embodied so many parts of this passage. Today, we've called out the names of the saints who blessed us, especially in our times of need. We honor those saints today who modeled a way of living that we looked up to, a way of life that we admired. We honor those saints today who knew how to love those that maybe made life a little difficult, the kind of folks who would have given you the shirt off their backs, the kind of folks who would never have passed up anyone who needed a hot meal or places to stay, the saints who made us feel warm and cared for, the saints who took initiative and truly did to others what they might have others do to them. We honor those saints today, the saints who, at the very least, simply made our lives better. It's fitting that this passage be read on a day like today because so many of those saints we mentioned and those we haven't, those that I'm sure are on your hearts, helped us to see what it means to follow Jesus. And because of these saints, we had actual physical examples of what it looks like to follow in our rabbi's footsteps. (laughs) When I was a teenager, my father was a Methodist pastor and I remember walking into his office one day and I told him, Dad, I don't get this Christianity stuff. It's too hard to follow. It's too many little things. Plus, Jesus is kind of unattainable, you know? It's the unattainable example. How can anybody follow all of this stuff? What are we really supposed to do? And he said, well, why not start at love God and love neighbor? That's what Jesus says is the greatest. And I thought to myself, yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) I can do that. But then I said, wait, hold on. But what does that even mean? (laughs) There are a lot of ways to love God and to love people. What is love supposed to look like? I need some specifics. And he looked at me and said, well, sometimes we use 1 Corinthians 13 to help us understand what love looks like. Love is patient and kind. It's not envious or boastful or arrogant or or rude. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It never ends. And my dad looked at teenage me and said, maybe start there. That's what love looks like. So just, just begin right there. And I thought to myself, that's great. Thanks, dad. And then I came back and said, no, that's still too hard. It's too many things. It's too in the clouds. I don't think I'll ever achieve it. And his response came like this. Try this. Who do you know that embodies those characteristics in that passage? And that was easy for me to answer. It was, I immediately thought of my Uncle Ben, the greatest man I ever knew. He's calm and gentle. He loved everybody. In fact, loving people seemed so easy to him. It was just his nature. 
John Wesley spoke of the possibility of us being perfected in Christ in this life, meaning that there are times when our intentions might just become completely loving. And Uncle Ben was John Wesley's definition of perfect. He was patient, kind, never resentful, was not happy with wrongdoing. He believed and hoped and endured. And so I responded to my dad. I said, Uncle Ben, that's who I can think of. And then he responded like this. He goes, so be like Uncle Ben. (laughs) Paul occasionally would tell his churches, made up of folks who hadn't met Jesus and were struggling to learn how to follow, Paul would say, okay, you guys, if you need a tangible example, imitate me. Do what I do. If you need something on the ground, imitate me. That's, That's what so many of our saints that we remember today are to me. These are the tangible, physical examples of Jesus on earth, people we can point to in order to remember and to know what it means to follow and what it means to live. And if we get bogged down with faith and Christianity and following this and that, we can take a deep breath and remember these saints and imitate them as they were imitators of Christ. (laughs) One pastor put it this way, the saints made faith real to me. They incarnated it. I don't know if that's the right grammar. (laughs) They incarnated it. And those that we think about today remind us of that truth. It was a relationship with those saints that made life so full and so good. Of course, we recognize that that those saints who have gone before us today, we also know that in the New Testament, saint is just a term for a follower of Jesus. When Paul wrote to the saints... He wasn't just talking to the good ones. (laughs) He was talking to the whole church, all the saints. Every Sunday, except for today, ironically, we share in the Apostles' Creed. And you declare that you believe in the communion of saints. What does that mean? Thanks for asking. In the United Methodist Church, we believe that this refers to the whole community of faithful followers of Christ, living and dead, past, present, and future. When we gather in worship, we praise God with believers we can't see. When we celebrate Holy Communion, we feast with the past, present, and future disciples of Jesus Christ. This faith community stretches beyond space and beyond time. We commune with Christians around the world, believers who came before us and believers who will come long after us. We are saints, and we are saints who are on our way. We're saints because we're part of this church. We're saints because we follow Jesus. We're saints because we believe that God is continuing to do something within us. And we're saints with the whole communion of believers across time all at once. All of us saints on our way. But that will not stop us from recognizing those in our midst, those who have gone before us, who exemplified something special to us. And the question I'm left with today is how best might we honor them? How might we repay our saints for all that they gave us? I've got one example, and then we're going to come to the table. When when I married an English major, I had no idea how much poetry I was about to read. (laughs) And more than, than that, that I would actually have favorites. Billy Collins has become one of my favorites. He was the Poet Laureate from 2001 to 2003. And, he, and he, he's my favorite because he's funny, because I like humorous poetry, but he also 
manages to get to the heart of something so deep and so difficult to convey with humor and with deep meaning. And so in his poem called The Lanyard, he takes on the task and the futility of repaying one of his saints, his mother, and he does so with humor and deep honesty. And so this is what I leave you with today. This is his poem, The Lanyard. The other day, I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one into the past more suddenly, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I'd never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one if that's what you did with them, but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breast, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and to swim, and I in turn presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education, and here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift, not the worn truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-toned lanyard from my hand, I was sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. Our saints are those who have loved us well and beyond measure, mainly because it's simply who they were. We cannot repay them for how they've loved us. I don't think we could ever be even. We can never repay our saints. We can never repay our God and our Savior, but we might surely try. <laughs> and the best way to try, the golden rule to pay it forward, not simply doing the bad things, but doing the positive, like Wesley's simple rules, do no harm and do good. And may we continue to imitate our Lord. But if it ever becomes difficult... May we simply imitate those who knew him so well. Who knew the one who climbed down to earth, the one who became like us, who in being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.